Why, hello there. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Jonathan Edwards with pureandsimplebible.com. I'm so glad we're together again. And we're in the middle of an excellent Bible conversation about the four pillars of the gospel. We're trying to understand what the gospel is and how we can present it effectively to others. And there is a distilling or simplification that we can use as the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But as Shahe Jurgen is telling us, it's also helpful to consider that there are multiple parts or movements to the gospel, and Christians really need to understand these so that we can effectively live and share this life with other people. Now, we've talked about the first two. We're still talking about the second one a bit, and then we'll jump into three and four. Go back to the first episode of this series and listen if you haven't already. And if everyone's caught up, let's jump into it, shall we? It seems like this is going to be the the, the pillar maybe that, that most are familiar with. Since yes. It's similar to what I'd said at the very beginning. I like to distill the gospel down to you know something simple like death, burial, resurrection. Do you find, as you talk to people about this, that the second pillar of Jesus' work is the most commonly understood or, or uh, maybe mentioned? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and I think that's natural that we would think of Jesus as being the centerpiece of the gospel, which obviously he is, and that is true. The one element of the work of Jesus that I try to emphasize that I think maybe is the part that some people are not as familiar with or, or don't talk about as much is the significance of Jesus' ascension into heaven and enthronement at the right hand of God. Because if you read Mark, let's take Mark as an example, uh, you realize that, that nobody really understood who Jesus was while he was here on the earth. And so Mark opens his gospel with this statement, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then you learn nobody has any clue that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Uh, the demons sometimes understand things that right. nobody else understands. And it's not until the crucifixion where Pilate posts above the cross, this is the king of the Jews. That's true. That was right. That's what it means for Jesus to be the Messiah. And then that's the beginning of the crucifixion scene. And then at the end, when, he, when Jesus dies, the centurion of all people is the one who says, surely this was the Son of God. Mm. So Mark opens by telling us that's who Jesus is, and nobody understands it until that moment at the end. And Jesus himself says, when the Son of Man is lifted up, and when the Son of Man comes in his power, then you will know who I am. That's a kind of my own rendering of what Jesus says when he's on trial before the Sanhedrin. And that's that Daniel 7, Son of Man language, where you have this human being, the Son of Man, who goes up to sit next to the Ancient of Days, and his throne is right next to the throne of the Ancient of Days. And when the nations are gathered together, do you know who they worship? They don't worship the Ancient of Days. They worship that, that dude, that guy who's sitting next to the Ancient of Days. Yeah. And you think, well, how is that possible? Well, this is how it's possible, because Jesus, of course, was no ordinary human being. 
And so the ascension of Jesus to the right hand of God and his reign and rule over the universe, as he said, all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. I think that's a a significant part of the work of Christ that we shouldn't ignore. Right, right. Now, when we talk about these four pillars, uh, the work of Jesus is is leading to, um, I guess, well, you just call it the plan of salvation for the third pillar, but it's leading us to, uh, motivating us to, to respond, right? Right. And so part of the gospel is is knowledge, you know, knowledge of the past, knowledge of uh, Jesus' work. But the big difference between um, mere ascent, you know, like mental ascent that, that Jesus is the Christ, and then faith in Jesus as the Christ is that I know it, but I also act on it. Yeah. And so uh, it would seem that this third pillar, I'm, I'm kind of inferring it just by looking at it, but it seems like this is uh, the, the plan of how we respond to the gospel is important in what the gospel is itself. Is yeah, that right? absolutely. And the terminology plan of salvation is not, you know, it's not necessarily, I don't think you'll find that expression exactly in the in the scriptures. It's just a sort of a, a phrase that we sometimes use to talk exactly about what you're describing, how one responds to the gospel. Uh-huh. And the thing I want to emphasize here is just a little cautionary note. The word okay. gospel, of course, means good news. And so right. the gospel is news. We should think of it as an announcement of something, and we shouldn't think of it as a, as a transaction. Mm. So sometimes I think we present the gospel as kind of a sales pitch where we say, you know, for five easy payments of hear, believe, repent, confess, and be <laughs> baptized, you too can go to heaven when you die. And that's just uh, maybe catchy and invitational but it's not really ever the, the way that the New Testament authors ever present the gospel. They present the gospel as this announcement that the world has radically changed now that Jesus has been enthroned. It's this proclamation that Jesus is the fulfillment of the hope of Israel. He gave his life to redeem humans from sin and bondage. He rose to redeem us from the pangs of death. And Jesus now is King of kings and Lord of lords. He's risen and ascended into heaven. He rules over the whole world, seated on David's throne. And it's it's this exciting, wonderful, invigorating news that is designed to produce a reaction uh, in those who hear it. So the illustration I use sometimes, Jonathan, you and I are both old enough to remember what it was like when when the attacks occurred on 9-11, September right. 11, 2001. We remember how we felt that day. Mm. And people all over the world who were re- reacting with, uh, you know, deep mourning and grief and, and uncertainty. I mean, when right. it a- first occurred, nobody knew what was really going on. Right. And so there was this dread and anxiety. Um, we hear news like this all the time, you know, a sun- tsunami kills hundreds of thousands of people and in Indonesia or something like that. And we know how that kind of news makes us feel. And if you saw someone on 9-11 who was giddy and laughing and joyful and happy, you would think, well, that's not the, that's not the appropriate way to 
uh, respond to this news. That's not right. a natural reaction to this kind of news. Right. So I think the plan of salvation, as we talk about it, is sort of the, the Holy Spirit's guide to help us to understand how one should positively respond to the news that Jesus has conquered sin and death. And that's that's kind of just the way that I would outline roughly what that the the idea of this pillar is. And so how we respond. You know, earlier you you made a, a kind of a a joke about HBRCB. Right. Um, but is part of the gospel and part of your sermon, I guess, whenever you preach this, is it sharing with people how they respond or is it just to kind of leave it with we all know how we respond? And so go ahead yeah, and do no, that. No, no. When I when I preach, of course, I always want people to know what the scriptures have revealed to us about the appropriate way to respond to this news. And I just I emphasize this point merely because I want people to understand that the gospel is not the plan of salvation. The plan of salvation is one part of the gospel. The gospel right. is about God. The gospel is about God's victory in the world. Sure. This is just our response to what God has done. So certainly, I tell people that um, that you know once you have understood what God has done, uh, that you need to trust in what God has accomplished in the world, and that you ought to now reorient your whole life, knowing that Jesus is enthroned in heaven above, and that God has freed you from sin and death. And that's what we call faith, you know, the relentless pursuit of the will of God, right. uh, to know the will of God, to do the will of God, to live the will of God. And that starts with repentance in turning from sin and dedicating ourselves to the will of the Lord. Uh, we confess with our mouth our faith in Jesus, and we submit to the waters of baptism, where we're born again, remade into the image of Christ, and now we are one with Christ in covenant with the Lord, and we live our lives in dedication and commitment to that covenant. So certainly that is part of what we might call the overall gospel package, but it can't be preached. This is my point. The plan of salvation can't be preached apart from the other elements of the gospel. If you right. do that, you've just made the gospel into this sort of sales pitch of here's what you can get from God. As right. opposed to, here's what God has done, and don't you want to be a part of what God has done? I know I do. That's such a great mindset shift, because I feel like uh, you used the word transaction, and I know that there was a transaction that took place, and that's the blood of Christ uh, that paid the price for sin. Mm -hmm. um, but the transaction itself, uh, yeah, I, I like the idea of our response, our faithful response. It's an answer of a good conscience towards God. Right. First Peter 3 talks about. Yep. And it certainly isn't um, something we've worked out ourselves like Ephesians 2 talks about. And I feel like sometimes our, our friends in various denominational groups, when they hear the HBRCB conversation, they're hearing it exactly as you've just presented it. Th those people in the Church of Christ are, are transactional, works-based, oriented. Right. But you haven't changed any theological or doctrinal uh, uh, concepts for me. You've just helped me appreciate 
that what we do in response is faith and it's not transactional. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. You know, you um, you spend a lot of time in Cambodia and I spend a lot of time in, in Malaysia. And in Malaysia, uh, I encountered a lot of people who have sort of a charismatic and Pentecostal background. And a lot of them believe basically in what we would think of today as the social gospel. Right. Um, and that you want to talk about transactional. If you say the right prayer <laughs> and you sow the right seed in your life, God is going to give this, he's going to give you health and wealth and happiness and a great marriage and, uh, you know, obedient children. That is, that is transactional. That is saying, I will do this if God will give me this in return. Right. And we've got to be careful not to fall into that mindset. Uh, we've got to be careful while still emphasizing what the New Testament uniformly teaches about things like baptism, that we don't make the gospel transactional in saying, I'll do this so that I can get that out of God. Mm. That's, that's dangerous ground to be on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, brother, we're uh, in, a, in a discussion about four pillars. Uh, we've got a overview of Old Testament and how that is essential to understanding the life and work of Christ, which is essential to understanding uh, the plan of salvation or how we respond to Jesus' work. But then there's a fourth pillar, and people might be thinking, what could possibly be left <laughs> if we've already talked about those three things? So without revealing it myself, what is left for us to talk about? if we've already talked about these three? Well, what's left is the rest of our life. <laughs> what's left is uh, now that we have made this decision to commit ourselves to the one who has accomplished this great victory in the world, what do we do with the rest of our lives? And uh, I use this terminology because I think it's biblical terminology and it's significant terminology. And so the fourth pillar that I have is the kingdom of God. And you had Mike Criswell on, who um, talked about his work and study and commentary on the gospel according to Matthew, right? and how important the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven in Matthew is to the overall work of God in the world. And so the kingdom of God is about the rule and reign of God on the earth. As Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So in Jesus' ministry, he came into the world, and when he came into the world, you could see the kingdom of God was starting to break in. The powers of darkness that manifest themselves in demon possession and in all kinds of uh, sickness and illnesses were being banished out. When Jesus would show up, people you know who were demon-possessed couldn't remain silent. <laughs> They'd right. been able to hide, apparently, uh, in the eyes of others, but not when Jesus was around. And they would cry out in anguish and, uh, and, and anxiety about what Jesus was doing because he was coming to fight back against the powers of darkness that had so much rule and control in the world. And that's what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God is the work of God in the world as it is accomplished in those who serve him, Christians, believers, followers of Jesus, as it's accomplished in uh, congregations, which are sort of little outposts 
of the rule of God in the world, uh, little colonies of heaven, as Paul describes them over in Philippians. And so the kingdom of God is about God's work in the world. And the amazing thing is that God has invited us to be a part in that work. Uh You know, when I read the Old Testament, Jonathan, I read about people who had all kinds of serious flaws, character flaws, moral failings. Some of the people that we've talked about in this very episode, Abraham and Moses and David, uh, and these were people who were far, 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 far from perfect. And in many ways, they were they were wicked. Sometimes they just acted uh, wickedly. Mm-hmm. And we think, well, why would God want them? Why would God use them? And yet he did, because God has this amazing ability to work with imperfect people because he wants to partner with us. He wants to work with us. He made us for that very purpose, to be his image bearers in the world. And so the gospel has the power to break the bonds of sin, to free us from the fear of death, to remake us into the image of Christ so that God's will can be accomplished on the earth through us. And that's just what I talk about when I talk about the kingdom of God as being part of the uh, gospel announcement. Now, there's more to the kingdom of God than just what I've explained here. Um, But the idea that I'm just trying to emphasize is that God is desiring to break in, to reclaim his world. He did that in the work of Jesus. He did that in the lives of the apostles. And now he calls us to do the same, to bring that uh, work of Christ very practically and very powerfully into our communities. And that's what the kingdom of God is in terms of our uh, work and our responsibility. You know, uh, it's been, I don't know if, if circumstantial is the right word, or maybe it's for such a time as this, but uh, recently my dad was on this this program and he talked about the kingdom specifically with, with David and uh, the prophecies concerning the son of David. And then as you mentioned, Mike, and then now you, so people are going to start to hear a theme you know, if they listen to some of the most recent episodes about kingdom, kingdom, kingdom. And it's been very healthy for me to process some of this information because um, I think there has been times in my past where I've had that mindset of things seem to be getting really bad and really dark, but the good news is someday I'll go to heaven. And so if I just kind of uh, hunker down, then um, I'll just survive this. And once this is all over, everything will be great. But I can't help but think of Jesus teaching in the Sermon on the Mount about being salt and light, that we're the salt of the earth, and then we're the light of the world. And granted, you know, the light that illuminates is light that is Jesus, and it's illuminating through us. But it would seem that God wants us to be in the kingdom so that we can bring this kingdom living into a desert of a world and try our best to um, help others experience what we get in Christ. Yeah, Is that absolutely. Fair? Oh, yes, I totally agree. I, I know that 
it's very difficult sometimes to look beyond where we are at this point in history. And that's just, I think, the nature of the, the frailty of, uh, you know, of the human brain. I mean, it's, it's you know, you, we think about the vastness of the universe, almost impossible to comprehend that. We think about the scope of human existence going all the way back to Adam and Eve. It's, I mean, our country is only a few hundred years old. It's hard to think about time in terms of thousands and thousands of years. And we have to think about life um, in terms of God's perspective. Mm. And while it may be true that we are living in a part of the world and at a point in history where we think, well, it doesn't really seem like the gospel's doing much. Right. <laughs> it doesn't really seem like uh, a lot of people are taking their place in the kingdom of God and bending the knee to King Jesus to give their love and life and, and loyalty to him. Why is that? Maybe, maybe God's work is failing in the world. But I think about those parables that Jesus gave about the kingdom, the one about oh, the mustard seed and the right, one about the right. woman who hid a little leaven in some dough. And, you know, uh, my wife does a little gardening. And one thing that is necessary for any kind of gardening is patience. <laughs> and, uh, and that's God's perspective. God plays the long game and sometimes right. hard for us to see beyond where we are right now. So what you described, Jonathan, I have felt the way that way as well. And sometimes that's the best we can do is to say, I'm, I'm not in a good place in my life right now. I, I'm feeling pessimistic about things. I'm going to just hunker down, do the best I can to serve Jesus in hopes for something better in the future. That's okay. It's okay sometimes to feel that way. But I just want to remind everyone that that's not God's perspective mm. and that God's will will always be accomplished in the world. The, good, the, the, the Great Commission will be fulfilled. The kingdom will triumph one way or another depending on your particular view about eschatology, but the kingdom will triumph one way or another, and God will be victorious. And that is of great comfort to me in those times when I'm feeling like it's all on me, or I'm defeated, or I'm not good enough, or I'm not doing enough. Uh, this is God's work in the world, and right. we get to be a part of it, and that's exciting. That, that should be exhilarating to us that God wants us of yeah. all of all people of all things um but this is god's work and so we shouldn't feel like the burden or the the onus is all on us uh to make god's will accomplished in the world well i'm i'm trying to put myself in the shoes of someone who maybe feels totally unworthy it's not that hard as there are times where i have felt totally unworthy but for a listener out there who's hopefully you know stuck with the whole presentation about what the gospel is and, and how we should be um, maybe viewing it from a, a, a four different pillars or four different, uh, you know, connected movements of gospel. As you were talking about this fourth um, pillar on the kingdom, really, it made me feel hopeful. Like uh, there is a part for me to play. There is, there is usefulness for me in this kingdom. And I think for, for those who feel totally unworthy and 
as though they're just a, they're a disappointment to God. They feel a lot of guilt associated with uh, maybe not living up to the standard that, that they think they're supposed to. Perhaps, if I could connect it to your third point, perhaps if our mindset is transactional, then it's easy to assume I'm not doing my part because I haven't paid enough yet. Mm-hmm. Versus uh, if the transaction was Jesus' blood on the cross and it's righteous, uh, it's paid for sin. And so our response to the gospel is not only a uh, obeying in faith and, and repenting and confessing and being baptized, but it's also a life devoted uh, to the Lord. Then instead of me focusing on, I haven't done enough yet, then I can be excited that I get to be a part of something that I can't even fathom that I have the right to be a part of. And yet God wants me. Yeah. What do you think about that mindset difference? Absolutely. I, I think that I myself have gone through a significant mindset shift, almost exactly like what you're describing over the last several years. I used to really struggle with feelings of inadequacy um, some I still do often, and I have to remind myself constantly that it's not about me. You know, I mean, I think that's one of the major mistakes we make. We say we we think that the gospel is about me, and it's uh, not. Right. The gospel is about God, yeah. and it's about what God has accomplished and continues to accomplish. I think to illustrate it with a scriptural example, uh, recently I've been spending some time studying Luke's birth narrative. And this is exactly what Mary, the mother of Jesus, said. She said that God looked on the humble estate of his servant. So Mm. she's talking about herself. He looked on the humble estate of his servant. But now, because he chose Mary for this incredible work, all generations will call me blessed. Mm -hmm. And Mary... (laughs) You know, it wasn't about Mary. She recognized this. She recognized that it's about the mighty one. It's about the mercy of God. It's about the strength of his arm. Uh, These are the themes that she emphasizes in her song that she sings in Luke 1, starting in verse 46. And so if you're feeling a sense of inadequacy, I would say that, you know, one of two things is going on. One, um, that's how many of us feel. And that's okay. Sometimes okay to feel that way. But two, maybe the problem is that you're putting everything on yourself. Right. And Mary recognized that it was about what God was doing through this woman who she said of herself uh, is just a servant. I like that. I like it's not about me. It's about what God can do through me. That's right. And so that's a that's huge. Well, brother, as we wrap this up, um, I'm curious if you have maybe a, a final thought that summarizes it, or if you have a thought that we haven't had the chance to go through, I want to give you that opportunity. But uh, what would you say to our listeners as we start to wrap up this thought of the four pillars of the gospel? Well, I would like to invite everyone to spend some time reading some of the gospel presentations that are recorded for us in Scripture. I mentioned a few at the beginning, and I'll mention them again. Um, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 5. Romans 1, verses 1 through 4. 
Paul's sermon in Acts 13, verses 16 through 41, Peter's sermon in Acts 2, verses 14 through 41, and see as you read those gospel sermons and gospel presentations if you can identify these four pillars where those men talk about the history of Israel, the work of Christ, the plan of salvation, and the kingdom of God, and see if you can identify how they talk about each of these core elements that bind the gospel together, and then think about your own presentation of the gospel when you have opportunities to share. Maybe you're a teacher or a preacher, and you have opportunities to get up in front of an audience of people and preach a gospel sermon, and try. Try to make sure that you're incorporating these elements into your own gospel preaching so that our gospel preaching looks and sounds like uh, the gospel preaching of the apostles. And uh, I think if we'll do that, maybe we'll find that our preaching is more effective and more impactful on the lives of people that we have opportunities to share with. Sure. Amen. Well, brother, I'm so glad to have had this conversation with you. And and uh, again, I'll just remind folks that if they're interested in hearing more about this, that they can go to the various social media outlets, specifically maybe YouTube to start with, and search for the Follow the Search page or uh, channel, and then they can uh, follow that content, right? Join the search. But yes, thank you again for the plug. Join the search. (laughs) Join the search. That's right. There we go. All right. Well, thank you, brother, very much. Thank you. I am indeed grateful to Brother Shahe for coming on this program and spending some time talking about this. It's obvious from the conversation that he is very passionate about the gospel, and I hope that you are too. I hope that you'll consider the scriptures that he suggested that you go read in 1 Corinthians 15 and Romans chapter 1, the sermon in Acts chapter 13, for example. Uh, I plan to do that, and I hope you will as well. So uh, you should go ahead and subscribe to the podcast while you're at it, and leave a five-star review. It's very helpful for the analytics, helpful to get people who are searching for this kind of stuff to find it. So take care of that. And go to the website. There's a lot of content there for you to utilize, download, absolutely free. And until next week and the next podcast series, I want you to remember that God loves you very much, and I do too. Lord willing, see you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me and you.